0: When someone's hurt you deeply, it can be hard to let go of the offense. After all, you've been wronged. What are you supposed to do next? Well, that's our topic as we settle down in the pastor's study for another edition of Ask Pastor Mike. Welcome to Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. You know, each week at this time, we clear out our schedule, pull up a chair, and sit down for some one-on-one time with Mike Fabares. In an informal question and answer segment, we call Ask Pastor Mike. Now, if you have a question yourself, I'll tell you how to send it to us at the end of the program. But first, let's join Pastor Mike and Focal Point's Executive Director, Jay Wharton, as they kick off the topic of undeserved forgiveness. Jay? Well, thank you, Dave. Pastor Mike, I wanted to ask you about one particular subject, and that is forgiveness. But perhaps
1: you could start with the concept of forgiveness in general. Well, the concept of Forgiveness in the Bible is kind of in a dramatic way illustrated by the Greek word in the New Testament that translates forgiveness. It's also translated to let something go or to leave something. You know, I I always picture and even said it, you know, sitting here with my hands kind of opening up and letting it go. The Bible's very clear that I need to, in my heart, not hang on to the wrongs against me. I need to not ball up with the sense that I've got to settle the score and I've got to take my own revenge and I need to, you know, return evil for evil. No, I need to let it go. And that's why my relationship with God is so important. When someone wrongs me, I've got to know that there is a God that is going to ultimately deal with the issues of wrong in this world. And uh, I need to recognize the fact that it's not up to me to try and, uh, as I often put, settle the score, to even things out. Uh, I need to learn to be forgiving. And Colossians 3 says, listen, be forgiving the way God was forgiving toward you. God was a God who took my sin and was willing to separate it from me as far as the East is from the West. Even that word separate, that's the idea, to let it go, to remove it from me. And he did that, and he says, now, just as you've been forgiven... You need to learn to forgive others. So when we relate forgiveness to marriages, how important is that to the relationship? Yeah, well, of course, you know, here's someone you're living with, someone that you're close to. I mean, the closest human relationship you have is going to be many things that offend and many things that, you know, transgress, uh, you know, my sense of propriety and what I think is right and good. And so everyone's going to sin against their spouse in one way or another. And so we better learn to forgive. I mean, someone I see once a week, there's not going to be a high premium on making sure I learned to forgive that person because the chances of them doing something that I think is wrong in my relationship is a whole lot less than someone I'm seeing every single day and spending time with. This closest, most personal, intimate relationship, uh, we're going to need to learn to forgive. And when we are together as Christians, particularly in Christian marriage, knowing that we have been forgiven a huge mountain of transgression that God has forgiven, I hope it makes it a little bit easier for us to look at each other and say, We're going to forgive just as God forgave us. What happens when someone's unable or unwilling to forgive their spouse? Well, think about that. I I quoted earlier Romans 12, you know, when I want to take my own revenge and I want to settle the score myself. And I mean, you've got the person being hurt hanging on to that wrong and now with a clenched fist there's going to want to be some kind of retaliation there's going to be a, a sharp word or an insult that's returned for something that felt like an insult that you received uh, you know there's going to be tension it's going to up the static the noise the the hurt the frustration in a marriage and so i mean it's one of the worst problems you can have in a marriage is not learning to forgive your spouse. You don't let go of these things. They're going to build up and it's going to create a lot of tension in marriage. I think everyone can attest to that. Who hears my voice? They know unforgiveness creates a lot of tension, a lot of strife, a lot of bitterness in a marriage. Well, certainly it takes two to tango, as
0: they say. What is the responsibility of the one being forgiven versus the one doing the forgiving?
1: Well, you know, ideal forgiveness is when someone sees the wrong that they've committed and comes to you in a penitent uh, kind of, I'm sorry, I wronged you, please forgive me. And you can have a kind of great restoration immediately and a kind of reconciliation that is awesome when one party who has wronged the other can see their wrong and can quickly confess it. Uh, That doesn't always happen. And sometimes we're always working so hard to try and get our spouse to see what they've done and get them to confess it. They don't see it. That just creates more strife and it just ramps up and it gets even worse. So you need to learn from the words of Christ, even on the cross, that there's a kind of forgiveness and it may not feel as good as when someone comes and confesses their hurt and the way that they've wronged you in a marriage. But to be able just to every morning, every day, just be able to say before God, I know I've been forgiven a lot of things. I haven't even come to you. God and seen as problematic, I need to be willing to let go of anything my spouse might have done and say, God, you know, I want to let that go, release that and forgive them uh, even when they don't see the problem. You know, and sometimes it's such a major issue. Most of the things in life are smaller issues, but sometimes you do need to sit down and try and get your spouse to recognize what's just happened. But a lot of the times you just have to say, love covers a multitude of sins. I love my wife. I want to make sure that even if there's problems and issues that maybe she didn't even see that had been hurtful in one way or another. I'm just going to let it go. I'm going to recognize that love is going to overcome the wrongs that I may feel and forgiveness can be applied even when my spouse doesn't come like we might want and say, hey, uh, forgive me. I'm sorry. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. And we're going to conclude our discussion today with a message you preached called Celebrating Unearned Forgiveness. Well, our reaction to any news, really, is largely dependent on the context in which we receive that news, right? Think about it. When my wife calls and says, we won, it evokes one response if the context is my kid's little league game, an entirely different response it evokes for me if it's the $40 million California lottery, right? But anyway, yeah, context is everything. My response to any news is really, the reaction's going to be based on the context in which I receive that news. It's like when my mom calls and says, hey, you, you know, I ask, how's dad? And she says, your, your dad is fine. I mean, that's one response if it's just some random Saturday. It's a entirely different response when it was the conversation I had about three hours after she left a message on my cell phone a few years back when she said, your dad has had a heart attack and we're headed to the hospital, right? I mean, one thing to have and say, dad's fine, I go, oh, cool. It's another thing when I recognize the gravity of what could potentially be the news. Context is everything, especially when we consider theological statements, biblical statements, statements like God loves you and God forgives you and God accepts you. I mean, that evokes one response in a certain context and a whole different response in a different theological context. See, for people today to hear that God loves you, God forgives you, God accepts you, those are statements in the modern context that don't evoke the same kind of relief or joy because most people have been taught to expect that. As a matter of fact, they're surprised and shocked that God would condemn anybody. They're no longer surprised and shocked that God promises not to condemn them. They assume on God's acceptance. They assume on God's forgiveness. And they assume on God's love. Of course he's going to love me. Well, that's not how the gospel starts. I mean, the book of Romans is the expose of the gospel, starting in verse 16 of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 3. He says, sin is such a big problem. It is such a huge, grave, catastrophic problem for human beings that if we understood the ramifications of the problem of our sin in light of a holy God, when we start to hear things like God will forgive us, God will love us, and God will accept us. It really ought to evoke in Christians' lives an eruption of joy and happiness and praise and relief. Well, we get that in these three verses that we're going to study today. Take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to Romans chapter 4 and take a look at the way the Apostle Paul presents to us the kind of joy, gladness, relief that we should feel when we hear that God is able to and willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. The word, it's a Bible word, I I understand that, but it is packed with positive emotions and feelings. It's the word blessedness. Look at it in verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed, now he's quoting Psalm 32, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's a good thing, blessed. David speaks of the blessedness of this kind of transaction. That's why, by the way, verse six says, David says the same thing. Circle that and put an arrow back to the verses ahead of it. He says the same thing. What do you mean the same thing as what? Same thing as in Abraham's life. Abraham celebrated God's acceptance because God had credited him righteousness that he didn't have. And it wasn't based on his works, it was based on God's grace and it was given through faith and that was a huge deal. But if you think through that long enough, you start to recognize it's not only the understanding of being accepted as righteous when I'm not that should give me relief. I've got to think about all the things I've done that are wrong that need to be forgiven. And so he says it's the same thing, but it's the other side of the coin. I need righteousness accredited to my account that I don't have. And I need my sin somehow taken off of my account. And so he takes the direction of the same principle on the other side of the coin relating to our sins and says, David spoke of it when he said, how blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Now, there's a word here that is translated variously. Twelve times, by the way, it shows up in Romans chapter four. You know, the Bible was not written in English. I know that's news to some people. God originally gave it in two languages, three languages actually. One was a derivative of the other. Hebrew in the Old Testament, the latter part, there was inclusions of the Aramaic language. And in the New Testament, it was all in Koine Greek with a few Aramaic terms here and there. But I want to familiarize you with a word that is used in this text in a more concentrated place than any other place in the New Testament. Romans chapter 4 uses the word logizomai 12 times here. It's found more frequently in Romans chapter 4 than any other place in the Bible. It is the crux of the argument, and it would be good for us as 21st century English-speaking Christians to get familiar with a more of a full-orbed picture of the word logizomai. But let's start in the context, because we already saw it, though we didn't call it out, beginning in verse number 3. What does the Scripture say? This is the quotation now from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was logizomai to him as righteousness. That was the first one. How about verse 4? Now, when a man works, his wages are not logizomide to him as a gift, but an obligation. Verse 5. However, to the man who does not work but trust God who justifies the wicked, his faith is logizomide as righteousness. Verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God logizomide righteousness apart from works. So far, you're saying, well, my English text is credited, 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 Right? Well, that's true, but in other translations, you have words like reckon. Remember that? Reckon. They still say that in Alabama, right? Is it going to rain? I reckon it's going to rain. I'm going to reckon. I reckon so. That's how a lot of older translations translate it, because the core of the word logizomai is the word logic. It's the word, I'm thinking something. But the thinking, when a, when a guy in Alabama says he reckons it's going to rain tomorrow, I don't know, you think, okay, whatever, you reckon it will. But when God reckons something, it's a big deal, right? It's God. And when God decides in his mind, here's how I'm going to perceive the situation, then that's how it is. It may be that Abraham is not righteous, but God is going to logizomai that he's righteous. He's going to reckon. He's going to credit him. He's going to, here's a word we like to use in theology, impute to his account righteousness. Consider, think, regard, claim. There's another one here in verse number 8 as it relates to our sin. Because it's not only heading toward us, there's something that needs to be logizomied away from us. Blessed is the man, verse eight, whose sin the Lord will not, will never, logizomai against him. There's going to be a removal. I need righteousness and I need sin removed. I need righteousness accredited to me and I need sin credited away from me. Logizomai. it's a transaction. It's translated in verse three, four, five, and six as the word credited, or credits. You got a pocket full of credit cards, am I right? And when we swipe them, every time we swipe them, a number gets credited against us, am I right? And then, at the end of the month, I see how much damage my credit cards have done, how much mying has taken place. And then they're hoping that there's some positive logidzo mying at the bank, and maybe I can send some of those software zeros and ones over to this one, and we can settle the accounts. And, by the way, when those numbers are changed, there has to be a legitimate reason to change them. Can I get behind there and just punch some numbers in my account at the B of A window? How many times have I wanted to do that? What does it say? I don't have that much? I can change that. Give me the keyboard. I would live completely different if I could just get to that keyboard and punch in the numbers I want to see in there. But they won't let me do that. Why? It wouldn't be right. Now. Follow me carefully on this. We've got a new theological trend in our world that says that God logizomize just because he chooses to logizomize and that his logizomizing is not backed by any assets. There's no assets backing his logizomize and I'm here to tell you, no, that's not true. As a matter of fact, the emergent church, for instance, and I don't don't mean to always bring that up, but here's the problem with the emergent church. At the core of the problem of the spokesman speaking new words about the theology of the cross, they have stripped it of the asset by saying that God would not punish his own son to forgive us. And the illustration they constantly use is that if you don't have to kick your dog to forgive your wife, why would God have to punish his son to forgive us? don't need to do that. If God wants to take your sin off your account, and if he wants to add righteousness to your account, it's just a couple keystrokes in heaven. And all I'm here to tell you is this, God is not into wire fraud. When God transfers righteousness around and sin around, there's assets to back it. And that is not the theology that's being taught in many cool churches today. And this is the growing accepted theology of the day. That God just says, I forgive you, and you're forgiven. And God says, hey, I'll consider you righteous, and you're righteous. Do you know that even Abraham could not be considered righteous unless there is human righteousness that is creditable to his account, and that his sin cannot be overlooked by a holy God unless that sin is somehow paid for? Well, it was 2,000 years before the cross. I get that. Your credit card works before the end of the month, doesn't it? And your debit card works when there's money in the account. And I've said this many times, but the Old Testament, the imputation of righteousness from heaven and sin to the cross took place on a credit basis. It takes place now on a debit basis if you're all that into being concerned about time, which God isn't all that tied up with the time and temporal problems we have. But the bottom line is this. God cannot accept Abraham without the cross of Jesus Christ. And while people are trying to redefine that as some kind of human example of martyrdom, it is not. It is the Father paying off your debt and mine. That's what happened on the cross. If that's not what was going on on the cross, then passages like this make absolutely no sense. Let me give you a couple of them. How about Revelation chapter 1? Turn there with me if you would. Revelation chapter 1, first chapter of the last book of the Bible. Look at the introduction here starting in verse number 4. God does not pay off our debt. Without assets, if you will, backing up the transaction. And the asset was found in the cross. Look at verse number four. This is Revelation 1 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, now here we go, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn, the prototokos, from the dead, And the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has, now underline these words, freed us from our sins by his love. Do you see that? Underline love. Do you see that there? No, no, no. He did love us, but he doesn't free us from our sins by his love. This is God we're talking about who has to embrace an absolutely, perfectly holy being, and you're not one. So how does he embrace you? How does he accept you? How does he forgive you? The Bible makes it really clear. He freed us from our sins by his blood. You need to appreciate the power of the cross. Go four chapters later to Revelation chapter five. Revelation chapter five, verse number nine. They're singing in heaven. What do they sing? They sang a new song, Revelation five, nine. And here's what they sang about the lamb, about Christ. They said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your, what, Blood. You purchased, there's a Logizomai term, men for God. How did God accept you? You were purchased. What was the asset? The blood of Christ. Make the connection in your mind. Your sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. Christ died a death. In your place. Who, I don't understand. Who was punishing him? Well, the Romans, the Jews. No, no, no. God was. The father was pleased to crush him, putting him to death, offering him as a guilt offering. By the way, you'd have to erase all of the sacrificial system to come up with a theology that doesn't demand that God is going to, through symbolically in the Old Testament, sacrifice and substitute, and in the New Testament, the actual sacrifice and substitution of Christ. You'd have to erase all of that if you're going to buy into the new theology of the day that logizomai is just a decision God makes without any assets backing it up. Appreciate the power of logizomai. I can't pay off your mortgage unless there's real assets in my account. God isn't living on a monetary fiat system. He's living on a system of real assets, the blood of Christ. When Christ died, he purchased us for God. It was a real transaction. Back to Romans chapter 4. The theme of the passage, while it carries on the concept of logizomai, which we'll see actually in verses 9 all the way to the end of the chapter, What he's focusing on here is this concept of blessedness. And that's where we started. If we really understand what a big deal it is for God to pay off our sin debt, and we realize what would happen to us if he didn't, then we should be, I hate the fact that it's such a a church word, but blessed by that. I mean, there's a word it would be good to retranslate. The concept is one of happiness, of joy, of gladness, of honor. My goal in this sermon was to try and get us to appreciate forgiveness for what it is. It's huge, it's big. But I'm not so naive as to think that we're going to get it fully. We just can't until we stand in God's presence. But I think you'll get it then. When God says to a group of people, Depart from me, I never knew you. When He gives people the punishments that their sins deserve, and then He looks at you and He says, You're forgiven. My goal in this sermon is trying to get us to appreciate the blessedness of it now if we possibly can. Let's pray. God, give us the wherewithal to think a little bit more deeply about these truths so that we can live out the truth and the experience that David wrote about, the blessedness of full forgiveness. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Make us joyful people, happy people, people that know what it is to experience joy and gladness because of the forgiveness we receive in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a message titled Celebrating Unearned Forgiveness. You can find the complete unedited version of this message at focalpointradio.org. And while you're there, be sure to leave your own question for Pastor Mike through our contact page. Or you can send your question in the mail by writing to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Well, as Pastor Mike explained, the ability to truly forgive starts with first being forgiven. When we realize the weight of our own sin against God and the depth of His grace toward us, we can extend that to others. That's why at Focal Point, we don't tiptoe around the uncomfortable parts of Scripture. So will you partner with us to reach more people with clear, straightforward teaching from God's Word when you give to Focal Point? you help us continue proclaiming the depths of Scripture all across the nation. Now you can join this mission right now by calling us at 888 320 or by going to focalpointradio.org. To say thanks for your support today, we'll send you a copy of Pastor Mike's book titled Lifelines for Tough Times. To donate by phone, call 888-320-5885. 85 or go to focalpointradio.org. In this book, Pastor Mike helps us find practical ways to refocus on Jesus when we're going through difficult times. Even though life may not be turning out how you'd hoped, you'll be reminded that God is aware and cares deeply about what you're going through. Be sure to request Lifelines for Tough Times when you send your donation today. Our mailing address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. We're committed to being here for you each day, but we can only do so because of friends like you who donate to make this ministry possible. Thank you. Your support means we can continue providing these daily messages free of charge on radio, the internet, and through the Focal Point mobile app. Learn more at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drouy, inviting you to join us again next time as we continue exploring the depths of Scripture right here on Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.